Well, it is a privilege to bring forth the Word of God and, and really a, a topic that uh, perhaps all of us can relate to. You know, how many here believe in the sovereignty of God? You know, it's the, the sovereignty of God is that biblical teaching that all things under, are under God's control. That nothing escapes his eyes, nothing escapes his rule, that he is in control, and nothing happens without his direction or permission. And most here would translate this to mean that you believe God is in control of all things, especially when life is good. But do you believe this truth when life does not go your way? Or your dreams, or your goals, or your aspirations are not met. Or when you are the victim, the victim of someone else's sinful attack upon you. Or when you are wronged by someone, maybe falsely accused, maybe beaten. Or worse, perhaps something or someone you cherish is taken from you. You know, last week, Pastor David soberly reminded that we are in a war whereby our culture, um, via the courts, the government, media, education, even other churches, seek to attack the credibility of God's word and his institution, marriage and family and the church. And if you were not able to listen to the message, I exhort you, may I exhort you, especially you men, to Listen and download that sermon that's found online. This morning, I, however, I would like to talk about another conflict. And the devastation is equally frightening since many have suffered loss due to the consequences of this. And this battle is fought internally. It's fought internally, first within our hearts and believing that... Uh, God is sovereign. God is in control. And, and we're losing this fight. It leads to unbelief and so many other problems. You know, we say we believe in the sovereignty of God when life is going my way. But when it crosses against my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, or when someone appears to thwart that or destroy those goals, it's quite easy to be tempted to bitterness. It becomes a test of faith in his sovereign will. It's a battle in our own hearts and minds to believe the truth. A couple of months ago, I spoke here on this pulpit about enduring faith. And, and that faith is one of those, it's a test for all of us to endure, to finish well. It's easy to begin something but to have enduring faith. And as Pastor Dave has given me the opportunity to preach, there's, there's a kind of series in my mind of issues of life that test our faith, to endure in faith. And the last time I preached, it was on the topic of sorrow and grief. They really test our faith. And this morning, I'm going to talk on another topic, and that is the issue of bitterness. Well, you know, growing up... Um, I watched many Japanese movies in the local Japanese theaters in Seattle. 
And as a young teenager, I used to watch these samurai and uh, kung fu movies, and and uh, there were you know all these action filled movies. That, but like most of these action movies, they they these themes are very similar. You know, they it's all about revenge. I'm going to get back at that person, and and that theme is still popular in today's you know action flicks or uh, sci-fi movies that that the hero must avenge and and seek seek revenge and the honor for the loss of someone that was close to them and and the storyline is pr- primarily the pursuit of this course uh, and unfortunately this occurs in our life as well we 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 start entertaining the act of revenge and and though and I really struggled with this uh, g- growing up. Just, you know, I felt like I was hurt for whatever reason. Or maybe my family was dishonored for whatever. And, and I would, it, the movies just fed that flesh. But, but I would entertain it in my mind. And just those seeds of bitterness and discord. And, and just wanting to get back revenge. And, and it's amazing with, with our minds that it plays just not only a powerful role of replaying and just justifying within my mind to exact that revenge. And oftentimes, we even find satisfaction in our minds of that seeking of the revenge or being the avenger or the final judge. What's particularly disturbing, though, about this theme is it's the worldwide trend to promote this vindication, this retribution and violence based on a distorted view of what is right. And the seedbed of this view starts in the hearts of every man, woman, and child. It's, it's that seed is called bitterness. And it is constantly sown within our hearts. And so this morning, we will examine the dangers of bitterness within our hearts in order to not only identify, but really to root out this cancer to our soul so that we can live a life that's rooted and grounded in love. So let me begin by just defining what is bitterness. You know, bitterness is defined as just holding on to or showing feelings of intense or strong animosity or anger or hatred or resentment. Other words that describe bitterness are merciless, unforgiving, holding a grudge. Bitterness is also described as a feeling resulting from something that's just difficult to accept. Any of you can relate to that? Uh, If not, you will. (laughs) Because life is filled with, with pain because of sin. Well, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, the writer there exhorts, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no what root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. What the writer is saying that is that root of bitterness produces a wicked person. That is why the writer there in Hebrews 12 tells us that that afflictions, trials, They're really God's means of discipline. And he writes earlier there in in verse 5 that, My son, do not regard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he 
ones he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? Art, are you saying that God allows sin, pain, and painful people, and awful events in our lives? Well, the writer recognizes that fellow believers are often tested with trials that God ultimately orchestrates and he allows in our lives to be the very means to conform us into the image of Christ. God disciplines, he writes there in verse 10, of, there in Hebrews 12, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. But why, you may ask, but why would the writer in Hebrews use the phrase, no root of bitterness? He writes that because it illustrates the hideous nature of the sin. You know, I learned early as as a Japanese gardener, Uh, In removing weeds, you must, what? Remove the roots. Why? Because if you didn't, it would multiply in so many other places. A root is really a source that lies underneath the surface. And what is its purpose? It's to provide nourishment and sustain whatever plant that's on the surface. So if there's no root, there's no plant. And the same can be said of bitterness within one's heart. You can't necessarily see this root of bitterness since it lies under the surface. But what happens is it springs up and causes a lot of trouble. And by it, many become defiled, the scriptures say. And many become defiled means that the sin of bitterness will just, it just splashes onto others. And it splashes that sin upon others and we respond sinfully back. Um, It just gets messy. The writer there, James, says in James 4.1 that what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are war within you? You desire and you do not have and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Basically, life is about, it's about me. It's about me. And so we must remember that the Bible associates the root of bitterness bitterness with really the sin of idolatry. And and when we are bitter, more is involved in just an angry attitude. We are no longer worshiping the loving Father who controls all things perfectly, the sovereign God. But bitterness just can have that warped, sense of control we love ourselves and bitterness becomes this idolatrous practice of the worship of our opinion our thoughts our expectations our determination of what is good and right and how deserving we are of all these good things after all i live in a country that i have the right to life and what the pursuit of happiness as I see best. 
And yet, James reminds us that verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. You know, bitterness says, again, just it's, it starts with an offense that takes root into our hearts because someone, someone hurt us badly. And we, we play it in our minds and we allow these roots to go deep. And it spreads all over. Many times we retell our hurts to any available listener, including every detail of that pain. We enlist support, we pushing us further into resentment. And we hear the offending person's name, and we just cringe and just we just get ah. Can hear that name? I don't want to see that person. Um, and we decipher whatever offense as. That was intentional. That person really intended evil. And, and that offender is full of spite. They want to get me. And that may be very well true. Um, but we look for other reasons, both real or imagined, to dislike that villain. And with each new piece of information, we form another layer of bitterness. And we fool ourselves into thinking no one will know. But bitterness has a way of seeping into everything. So what are the dangers? In defining bitterness, what are the dangers of this? We read, or I should say Ivan read earlier in just Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath. Wrath means the outbursts of anger and The bitterness and wrath and anger, the settled feeling of anger, just that stewing in and clamor. Clamor means brawling or shouting and slander. That's speaking. Slander means really to speak blasphemous. Um, Basically, you just want to kill that person's reputation by speaking um, untrue things of them or you want to assassinate their character. Well, Paul's saying you need to put away these from from you. Along with malice. And malice means you just ill will or wickedness. Put those things away from you. You know, Paul writes not only there in Ephesians 4, but he writes similarly in Colossians 3, verse 8 and 9. But he adds two more um, words. He says, remove abusive or obscene language and also lying to one another. You see, bitterness was an issue within the church then, as it is today. And, and it's, again, Paul's reminding the believers in Ephesus that our life and conduct should reflect more like Christ than our previous life without him. But bitterness is one of the most confused and confusing sins that we commit. You know, another person has wronged you and hurt you. Or you believe that he has anyway. And so you store up this bitterness in your heart. But what happens is this bitterness pollutes and eats away at your own soul. Not the soul of the one who wronged you, but your own soul. It's like cancer. It's, e- it's just eating away the healthy cells. And it just spreads. 
I read this illustration uh, recently that describes bitterness as someone who comes into your home and smashes everything that is precious to you. And let us say that you're not just imagining it. He or she really did this. And so what does bitterness do? Bitterness goes to the toolbox, finds the hammer, and goes through the house, smashing any of the remaining precious things that the other may have missed. At the basic heart level, this means that bitterness bitterness agrees with the vandal. And from an objective standpoint, you can understand being angry or hurt. But bitterness responds by saying, no, I need to be hurt and, and damaged more than that. Leave me alone. I can do the rest by myself. You know, it's that hidden element under the surface. And out of it, it springs out anger and negative emotions against others and against the circumstances around us. People who have a root of bitterness, they find it easy to get upset over things that others are doing around them. Bitterness ultimately is dealing with unforgiveness within one's own heart. And it's, it's that secret underground work in our hearts that we allow our sin and the devil to produce those evil thoughts and actions that undermine our faith and testimony of God's grace. So this unresolved anger, this unforgiving attitude, this resentment, this jealousy, this continued disappointment are just a few of the life struggles that causes us to plunge into this bitterness And a life filled with bitterness is a lifetime wasted in regret and anger. And it just just brings a burden. And and then you become a burden to others. And people just, you know, I I used to think that um, people just grow old and bitter. Well, they don't grow, people don't just don't grow old and bitter. They were young and bitter. And And they did not seek to root out this poison. And the fruit of this unrepentance has has borne the bitter fruit of a bitter soul. How do I know that? Because Jesus says in Matthew 7 that you will know someone, what? By their fruit. You know, there are several classic illustrations that can be found. And I'll focus on a couple. I think of the first... Murder. You know the story? Genesis chapter 4. The life of Cain. Cain was very angry. Why? Because God didn't accept his sacrifice. And his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain. It's found there in Genesis 4. The Lord said to Cain. Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? You know, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you, but you must rule over it. Cain's response. Cain says to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I think of the life of Absalom. Remember the story in Absalom? You find that in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Not too long after David's sin against the Lord with Bathsheba, 
Absalom learns that his half-brother, Amnon, violated his sister, Tamar, a wicked, despicable, despicable act. And Amnon would not marry Tamar, and that just brought further dishonor to her sister. As I mentioned earlier, a bitter root can just grow subtly in our hearts long before it ri- its fruit rises to the surface for two years. For two years, Absalom's anger and bitterness grew as his father, King David, did not punish Abnon. And he plotted revenge. Absalom just even told his sister Tamar that he'll handle, he'll handle the matter. He even faked that he was not angry with Abnon. And as we read there that Absalom's bitterness shows up in revenge by killing Amnon. He took it upon his own hands. But, but you know what's bad, what's bad about this whole story? That's not the end. That's not the end of the story. Um, Absalom's bitter, bitterness just continue, continues to grow for another few years here when he's allowed to return to Jerusalem, but he's not able to see his father, King David. And, and it just, he's just stewing. You find that in, in chapter 14 there. And then you find in chapter 15, Absalom, as he's grew, he was a handsome man. And he grew up in prominence. But what he was doing was he was undermining and usurping his authority. And you find there in verse 6 in chapter 15 that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And what does he do? He sets up a conspiracy against his father, King David. That's what happens with bitterness. You just, it just festers. It's an unquenchable fire. It's cancer to the soul. It's extremely sad story. And you know the rest of the story of Absalom. But you know, interesting, in that same period of time was another character, Ahithophel. You know the story there? It's found there in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 17. During the same time, Ahithophel was King, one of King David's counselors, who later betrays King David and follows Absalom. But, you know, take the time to read and study the life of Ahithophel, of how the root of bitterness just grows. Why? Because Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. You can imagine the resentment and the bitterness that grew and the unresolved anger to get, I'm going to get back at King David for what he did to my family. And and it's so sad because you see that it wasn't only in the Old Testament. You find it in the New Testament as well. You find it in the early church. You find it in the book of Acts, chapter 8. And you read, Luke records there in Acts chapter 8 about Simon the magician. And it says there uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 13, that, or uh, yeah, verse 13, even Simon himself, he believed and he was even baptized. He, and he continued on with Philip as he heard the gospel. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was just amazed. And, and the scriptures go on and says and that when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the ha- apostles' hands, he offered them money. 
saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter and John shows up, and, and Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. What's the problem here? You know, Simon, Simon the magician was envious. He was envious that Peter and and John were being used by God to be a blessing and, and not him. You remember, see, earlier in verse 10 there, you see, in verse 9, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. While no longer people were paying attention to him, they were seeing the real power of God through Peter and John, and he became envious. And Peter rightly identifies, you are full of bitterness. What, what is he talking about? Well, what was happening there happens today, even in the churches today. You see, there are times people feel slighted, that they're not recognized, and they're in love with themselves or their talents. And the local church does not recognize their gifts. And they grow bitter. And they become angry. And eventually bears its ugly fruit in, in division, discord, gossip. I went from defining bitterness to the dangers of bitterness. And, and really want to get to the good news. is How do we get delivered from, from this bitterness? You need to root out this bitterness before it ruins you. But how do you do that, which appears impossible to do when you are in the midst of this pain of bitterness? Well, let me provide five means to root out this, this, this cancer to our soul. Number one, I began by saying, it's back to the sovereignty of God. Rehearse the sovereignty of God. You know, as I said earlier, sovereignty of God sounds good when everything appears to be going my way. But do you believe God is sovereign when life appears otherwise? And that is a test that all of us, all of us here will face. Um, The fact that we do not see everything and cannot know everything points to that fact. But Hollywood would like to remind us that... I think of that song from uh, the musical Oklahoma. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got this wonderful feeling. What? Everything's going my way. But that's just not true. Life is not filled with everything is going my way. And Paul reminds us there. He writes to the church in Ephesus. And he began there in that letter to the uh, in Ephesus, he, he, he begins with the sovereignty of God in view. He writes there in Ephesians chapter 1 and reminds the people that in Christ, 
we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You see, we need to rehearse that God is sovereign. And it's important to understand that, that he is in control. I don't see everything. I don't know. I think of the Old Testament example of Joseph. Joseph, you know the story. It's found there in, in Genesis. But to summarize, Joseph was, wow, he went through a, a hardship. His brothers sold him. They, they, they hated him. They were jealous. They were envious. And they sold him. And later, he was falsely accused. He was beaten and suffered in prison. He was forgotten. And for years of pain, the loss of family and friends, the loss of many years, he had every reason to become bitter towards his brothers, towards God. Especially, though, the very ones. And so when you know the story, as God raised Joseph into prominence to be the number two man in Egypt, and he had... I mean, it's a great script of now his brothers come before him. And now he has an opportunity to seek what every good Hollywood script would be. is to exact revenge. Joseph responds rightly in, in view of God's sovereignty. He writes, Genesis records it in Genesis 15, verse 19. It says, but Joseph said to them, his brothers, do not fear For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, indeed. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, Joseph saw that God is sovereign. I think of Job. And if we had time, we could just go into that life of Job, of one who suffered and but he too could see the sovereign hand of God he didn't speak against God he certainly questioned and we too understand that that we don't always see things God we don't see it and and there are questions but but God spoke to him and he was able to see God's sovereign hand I think of the uh, the people called the Puritans the Puritans are ones who I look to as uh, as a people who escaped Religious persecution in, in, especially in England and other parts of Europe, and they fled to the New World. Um, their writings are significant because their their understanding of God's sovereignty and man's sinfulness is um, is like no other. They they walked with closely with God, but this one Puritan quote I found really struck me regarding bitterness and affliction it says quote god has only one son without sin but none without affliction in other words all who desire to live godly face suffering so how do you respond to the root how do you root out bitterness i said first rehearse the god, rehearse the sovereignty of god number 2 reflect reflect on god's mercy on your life. You know, as I said earlier, one of the main source of our bitterness is not not only being sinned upon by others, but sadly, 
we really just have an elevated view of ourselves. So often our bitterness is the result of dwelling upon our righteousness and someone else's unrighteous actions toward us. But once again, the Apostle Paul, he exhorts, as you look at the book of Ephesians, he exhorts the people of God. You find there in chapter 2, verse 1, you know this passage. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. You see, when we reflect upon God and his mercy, his forgiveness, his righteousness. He is ultimately the righteous judge. And, and it helps me to look upward that indeed I can reflect back on God's mercy on my, on my life. You know, recently I read the book Unbroken, the testimony of the World War II veteran, Louis Zamperini. And, and he was ruthlessly mistreated by the Japanese soldiers uh, as he was in... Uh, <clears throat> in the prisoner of war camp. And, you know, but the real, after the war, the real battle began with his own life as he struggled with nightmares and bitterness and unforgiveness. Essentially, what the enemy, the Japanese, could not do was to break him. But the enemy within, the enemy within, bitterness, was breaking him. And it was breaking his marriage and breaking his life. And yet, through the invitation of a, of a neighbor and the resulting conversion of his wife, he heard the gospel through a Billy Graham crusade just 50 miles west of here. And he learned about God's mercy upon his life through Christ. I think of Jude. Uh, in, the, in the writings there of Jude, Jude, the half-brother of James, the people in the early church, faced the same temptation of bitterness all the time. How do I know that? Because Jude writes and reminds the people that you must remember, it's there in verse 17 of Jude, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I really believe that that this applies to us to today, not just for the people then, Because we too are facing times of evil people who do evil things to us. And even sometimes unknowingly, even here within the body, we may sin against each other. And those roots of bitterness just come up. And so we need to rehearse the sovereignty of God. And we need to reflect 
God's mercy. Third, we need to reveal this root. Reveal this root unto the Lord. You know, our lack of forgiveness is why we choose to to hold on to bitterness. And we let it just ripen into just full-grown resentment. While it looks like we're unable to give, really the issue is we just need to face the fact that we're just unwilling. It's not the issue of unable to forgive. We're just unwilling. Uh, and, and, And that's why, brothers and sisters, that's why it's important to confess. Confess means to agree with God. It's agreeing with God what he already knows. Because as we... As we agree with God, as we confess our sins to one another, or when we confess first to him, he's the one who is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and, And we need to go to the Lord and reveal that to him first and confess and say, God, I I'm really struggling with I've been wrong. I'm bitter. I am just outright filled with with bitterness and anger towards whomever it is. Or just life in general. Maybe I'm just bitter against God for putting me in this situation. I think of the example of Hannah. Hannah that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Remember Hannah? She was the wife of Elkanah. And, and Elkanah had two wives. Um, the other wife was Penina. And what did Penina do? She mocked. She mocked Hannah because Hannah was not able to conceive a child. And for a wife in that culture, that was everything to validate her her role as a wife. But you you see Hannah's torment there. And in verse 10 10 there in 1 Samuel 1, it says that Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she just began pouring out the Lord. And the Lord heard her. And you know the rest of the story. God answered by providing Samuel. I think of Naomi. Remember Naomi, the mother-in-law of uh, Ruth. Naomi losing her husband and her two son-in-laws. That could be cause for bitterness. To lose Someone you dearly love. It's written there in the book of Ruth that Ruth and Naomi went to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me what? Mara. Why? Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me a Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Lord has brought calamity upon me? You know, she's basically confessing before the people. I'm really struggling. I'm struggling. But God was gracious to her and he provided through Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi was able to be a grandmother to Obed, who happened to be the grandfather to King David. You know, not only are we to confess 
our sins, our struggles, our bitterness to the Lord. But to, we need to do that to one another within the body of Christ. James reminds us of that, that when we, when we are suffering, we are, ought to pray. We are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. That Why? So that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has the power, great power, as it is working. So after revealing this root of bitterness, we just need to enlist others to help. Help us along. And that's really important because this is where the body of Christ, just to come along, to pray, to read the scriptures, to rehearse, to remind about the sovereignty of God, to encourage one another. I say that because, as we read earlier in Ephesians 4, that we are to build one another up until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So as we rehearse the sovereignty of God, reflect on God's mercy, reveal the root, we need to relinquish. That's the fourth point. Relinquish your right to avenge. Again, Paul writes there in Ephesians 4 to, it says, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander, what? Be put away from you. <clears throat> put away has the idea, just, just throwing it out like garbage. Just get rid of it. But how do you do that? Relinquish. <clears throat> really means just to letting go of your right to avenge and really to entrust Upon Christ, who is the final judge. How do I know that? Because you see, the the church in Asia suffer persecution, and Peter Peter reminds the those who are being dispersed. He writes there in First Peter chapter two, and he reminds the people there that that this suffering, those people who who turn against you. You may find reason to be bitter. But for to this you have been called. He writes this in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to him who judges justly. He reminds later in chapter 4. That therefore let those who suffer according to God's will. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's again. Relinquishing your right to avenge is saying that I, I really believe in God's sovereign control. As I said before, bitterness lies within our hearts, and sometimes we don't realize it, but others do. And how often when a person who is entangled in bitterness find themselves defending their sin by saying, but you don't understand what they did to me. And we just need to remind ourselves, and we need to remind one another. You may need to remind me, because I, I, I have lived... Many uh, years with bitterness in my own heart. And God has had to cleanse me with the gospel. 
And I had to be reminded in Romans 12, verse 19, that, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That entrusting that God will take care of it. He will work out those things. He will. That's a life of faith of believing in the sovereignty of God. So I've talked about rehearsing the sovereignty, reflecting on God's mercy, revealing that root, relinquishing your right, and finally, it's renewing your mind and just resting on His grace. It really just comes down to, it really comes down whom? Whom do you trust? Me? You know, yourself or Christ? Either you could become bitter or better. Difference, I and E. Um, Do you entrust your burdens to the Lord, to the sovereign one who's in control? Once again, I think of a popular passage that we perhaps often quote, Ephesians 4, 26, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun, what, go down over your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. But, and we, we use that text often because we refer to as one to justify being angry. But, but what the Apostle Paul here is noting is, is our natural inclination to be angry when we feel wrong. It is not the justification to be angry, but rather concession to know that anger is common to all of us. But it's how we respond. It's how we respond after our initial anger. And Paul's saying, when you find yourself angry, and he refers to the earlier verses there found in, in verse 17 all the way through 24. I won't read that as a short on time, but, but we need to be renewed by the spirit of, um, of our minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. We need to renew our minds constantly. Once again, I say the battle is within. Um, and we just need to be reminded that, that when the temptation to believe that someone should pay for this, we must renew our minds in Christ. And remember that Christ won the war. He paid it with the price of his blood. And we just entrust as we renew our minds to say, okay, God, you are in control. In closing, I just think of, we sang earlier the song, Jesus, I, my cross have taken. You know, the author of that hymn was this guy named Henry Light. And he certainly was a man who could have been easily tempted to many arenas of bitterness. You see, he was a man, um, when he was really young, he was orphaned at an early age because his father had abandoned him. His father abandoned him, his mother, and his brother. And then soon afterwards, his mother and brother died. Later, Henry had hoped to go to med school. And he couldn't qualify because his health, he had poor health problems. He later became a minister Got married and had a family, had several children, but he lost his daughter at one month old. Every cause or reason to become bitter towards God. 
But prior to preaching his last sermon, he wrote a hymn that is still sung today. It's one of my favorite hymns entitled Abide With Me. But let me read a few stanzas of that. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me, abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee. Help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's faint shadows flee. In life and death, O Lord, abide with me. There's a tremendous confidence in looking at the sovereign God who knows that life is challenging. We all face the challenges. And we find that we're sinned upon, sinned against, and we sin against others. And the temptation for bitterness is, is there all the time. But my brothers and sisters, may I exhort you, you need to root those out before it ruins your life. I've seen many a, many a people who've, whose lives are ruined because of bitterness. May it not be so with you. Let me close in a word of prayer here. Our Heavenly Father, all I could think right now is that bitterness is very real within each of our hearts and we're asking that you will continue to search our hearts, try me, And if there is any wicked, please, wicked way, remove those. I think of your words there in Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, I, again, just when I read that, I just ask that you may do that work within us. And if there are any in this room who are bitter, may, they, may you help them now. Help us as a body of Christ to come around, to rally around those who will struggle with this. We ask all this in Christ's name.